This episode of Shameless is brought to you by Calming Blankets, Australia's favourite weighted blanket for improving sleep and reducing stress. Hello and welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne journalist Zara McDonald, that would be you, and Michelle Andrews, that would be me. Hello. Hello. Coming up on today's show, the bachelor bombshell we are calling bullshit on, plus the rise and fall of social media veganism and why Harry Styles is the enigma women can't get enough of. But first, Zara, how was your week? A good week. A great way. You hadn't thought of this before I asked Not you. like in the slightest. You, you looked st- at me very alarmed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the fuck I did with my week. Why don't you ever think back right now and all the listeners and I, I will have, just wait. I have a couple of recommendations to kick us off. Oh, what? We can't jump into recommendations sure already. we can. Did we do anything this week? I mean, we went to dinner one night. We went to Fonda. We did go to Fonda. We socialised together outside of work hours, which is quite a feat for anybody who works with their friends. You know what my favourite part was? You ordered a tequila cocktail and you looked at me and went, what? It's Monday. As if Monday is the <laughs> national day of drinking cocktails. It was a hard day. Yeah. It was Monday. It wasn't particularly hard at all. It was just a Monday. I felt very smug sitting there with my Coke Zero while you were um, drinking your cocktail. Fair enough. I'm thinking I should have some sober midweeks because that's the thing. Midweek, I tend to actually drink probably more than on the weekend. Really? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> that's a lot. But I do tend to drink more midweek because, you know, you come from a long day of work, you might go for dinner with friends and you're like, oh, I'll just have a wine or two. It's definitely an aging thing. I've been speaking about this with you and with my little sister, Evelyn, in that the older you get when you reach your 20s, you understand that like going home and having a wine and why so many mums crave that at the end of a long week. That's the thing I said to you and I said this in our interview with the Daily Talk Show this week as well, is I was on the phone to my best friend who lives in London and she was like, oh, I had the longest day. So I picked up a bottle of wine on my way home and I can so, I can so relate to my mum needing a glass of wine when she was raising us and I was like oh my god totally totally and then we both got off the phone and we're like we literally have nothing going on in our lives like we have nothing going on we have no dependence and no stresses and here we are pretending that we do there are some weeks though where you really just need it I mean yeah there is and the tequila cocktail on the Monday was totally fine my recommendations though Michelle I've actually got two the first is a fake tan I'm like quite a fan of fake tan generally like a lot of people but I do love a good fake tan and I reckon I have tried and tested like 25 in my time is that even that many you being obsessed with fake tan is the bane of my existence because it means I need to fake tan because otherwise I look like Casper the friendly ghost next to you I thought you were gonna say it's the bane of your existence because I'm also bad at it oh for someone, that, for someone at that loves fake tan so much I'm really quite bad at it. That said, I trialed a new one this week that I had heard so many good things about loving tan. Anytime I had seen any recommendations on social media for a good fake tan, loving tan's name continuously came up. I finally tried it and I put it on straight away and I said to you, this is literally my kind of fake tan. I don't know if it's going to be your color kind of fake tan because I quite like a deep, dark, rich kind of brown, Mm. but I really liked it. I would really recommend it. It didn't smell like a lot of other fake tans smell. You know what freaks me out though? The darker it is, number one, the more your mistakes really stand out and you do tend to make a few mistakes, particularly around the hands and feet area. It's also very difficult to rub off. 
I can't get fake tan off very easily. I know there are a lot of hacks all over the internet and products you can use. It is still so difficult. I still think there's a complete gap in the market for a very good fake tan eraser that nobody has been able to feel, but maybe it's literally just an impossible product to concoct. I'm pretty sure they fuck up your skin as well. Yeah. The stronger it is, the more it's you're going to singe your skin. Yeah. The second recommendation that I've got on Monday, I decided to take an hour or two just to sort of like center myself a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Sip on your cocktail. <laughs> Sip on my tequila cocktail. But I listened to, and a lot of people probably already listened to this episode. It was very popular when it came out at the time. But when Dolly Alderton released her book, Everything I Know About Love, she also released a podcast series at the same time called Love Stories. And there was a really beautiful interview with Stanley Tucci, who people might remember from The Devil Wears Prada, among a lot of other things. And they talk very beautifully about love, but that also meant not just the great loves of his life, but his relationship with food. Just a really wholesome, beautiful chat. They talk really beautifully about The Devil Wears Prada too. And I really appreciate how he's not particularly, I don't know, denigrating about his role in that movie. I think it would be so easy as a highbrow actor and a director and a producer to sort of roll your eyes about your role in that movie. But he's not. He's very proud of that work. And he was so good in that, by the way, that I didn't realize that he wasn't gay in real life. That is like he was such a good actor in that film that I assumed that campness was his entire personality and then I heard him on this chat and was like oh he's got like a wife and kids and a completely different lifestyle to what he did in that film and he's kind of a bit serious which is not as similar to the characters he plays and I know that sounds so silly but I think it just speaks to how sucked in you get by a character <laughs> by a really good actor and you can't separate the character from the person yes did you know that he was married to Emily Blunt's sister I did after listening to that yeah interview. I obviously went back and did my massive googling strike on like who she was and their relationship and how they met they've only been married since 2011 oh kind of like recent he was married before that and he had an affair oh just to ruin the wholesomeness of this chat wait what who do you have an affair with he had an affair but then he went back to his ex-wife i fucking hate hearing that so much anyway how was your week you've ruined stanley tucci for me (laughs) ruined the love stories chat how was your week it was a good week it was a really good week i am so excited that spring is here like i said last week happy spring everyone happy father's day hello to the bees hello to the bees there are more in that bush if you lean forward again zara happy spring everyone what a delightful time to be alive happy autumn to all of our many london listeners we do have a little pocket of London listeners and I know you guys had a really blisteringly hot summer so congratulations on finding the light at the end of the tunnel uh yeah Father's Day was really really nice I had an MCC ball on the weekend which I go to every year with my friends and it's always a little bit messy but a lot of fun so I loved that I think I'm having like one night a month at the moment where I go out and I properly have fun because the rest of the nights are kind of filled with work what's your definition of properly fun uh, where you commit to not thinking about work? Where I, well, well, where I commit to Being staying out Sunday? past midnight. Yeah, okay. Like bedtime would be later than midnight. God, I'm such a nana. I'm 25 and it sounds like I'm 45. <laughs> you are. Which is not a nana age for any 45-year-olds <laughs> listening. My mum will be like, and what does that make me? Sorry, Trish. Sorry, yeah. Vicky, if you're listening. Uh, I do have a recommendation. James Cosmetics. I lent you some. Have you used I them I haven't yet? used them yet. Okay. James Cosmetics is a brand that does luxury face masks. But the one I want to recommend is their eye mask varieties. They've got a lot. They're quite expensive. I will put that How out on the table they? early. But so is Loving Tan. So you can't roll your eyes at me. Damn it. Loving Tan's quite expensive. I know it is. James Cosmetics has the best eye bag mask thema bobs that I've ever used in my life and as someone who hates my under eye bags these are the only eye masks I've ever used where I actually think they're doing something and lots of people have commented lately that I look very awake and like bright 
So do you think they get rid of bags or just make you look more awake? So they've got active ingredients. I think it's retinol in a lot of these eye masks where it actually de-puffs your eye. Some some skincare experts can be listening to this absolutely <laughs> dying. I'm pretty sure the active ingredients in these eye masks work to get rid of your eye bags. And I have noticed a sustained difference over a period of time of using them. Yes, they're expensive. No, they're probably not the best for the environment ever but I absolutely love them I wear them every morning when or like every second morning when I'm driving Mitch to work or I'm writing in bed or whatever it might be so I love them you need to try them I'm gonna try them and I will report back in our Facebook group before we get into the show though we have some very exciting news and that is we have also been madly prepping for our live shows in Sydney and Brisbane at the end of the year Brisbane, your tickets are up first. They are going on sale tomorrow. They absolutely are. So get in a group chat with all your girlfriends or potentially your maybe not as excited boyfriend (laughs) or male friends. Welcome dads or welcome to and organize to come along. Brisbane's live show is on November 20th. You're staring at me being like, "Ah, did I get that date right? You did. It is November 20. We will be in Brisbane at the show. We hope you guys are there too. There are limited seats, so get in quick. Melbourne sold out very quickly and we suspect that Brisbane may be the same. So make sure you're online Tuesday at midday. Tickets will go on sale at 12pm. There will only be a limited number and this will be the last time, the only time we come to Brisbane really in the next 12 months, I would think. I think looking at our calendars for now, it might be, but don't quote us on that. For now, it'll be the first and last time we come in 2019. Let me just say that. Keep an eye out on our socials. Come into our Facebook group, Shameless Podcast Community. Come to Instagram, Shameless Podcast. We will have far more details there and the link will be there the minute they are live. Sydney listeners, do stay tuned. Your tickets will be on sale next Tuesday and we'll have more info for you in next week's podcast. But get chatting to your friends about that one too. That will be November 22, just if you want to pencil that date down while we're here. Shall we get into the show? We actually should. These intros are getting absurd. They're, they they're becoming their own segment. <laughs> Tell me where we're starting today, Michelle. We are starting today with a very suspiciously timed new idea article, which said that Bachelor contestants Vaco and Rachel are together. Is there such thing as a non-suspiciously timed new idea article? Yes, yeah, so true. So for those who missed it, new idea published paparazzi photos of Bachelor contestants Vaco and Rachel out on a dinner date together, with the mag commenting that the pair have fallen head over heels for each other. So Zara, there are a few images. There was like a little series. Most of them were of Vaco and Rachel sitting at a restaurant table together staring deeply into each other's eyes falling in love as the magazine article suggested making out at dinner as making we all do. out touching each other's chins kind of yeah being very overt about their affection for each other there was also another photo of them walking down the street hand in hand apparently completely blissfully unaware of the paparazzo who would have been in front of them So a couple of things on this. I think the first thing that I always notice is the timing of these kinds of stories come out. I know that you already noted that it was suspiciously timed. It was suspiciously timed because, you know, they both had just been eliminated from the show. I think the argument that a few people were pushing or peddling in our Facebook group around the fact that it could only go live now because they were both eliminated from the show. Bullshit, sorry. Is so bullshit. bullshit. <laughs> because when did the tabloids ever care about that? Like in what world has a tabloid ever thought, oh, we better hold this story so we don't spoil it? Because Daily Mail hasn't spoiled the ending of every Bachelor season ever. Like they've never been stressed about ruining the show. So mm. the timing is because, in my humble opinion, these photos have been set up 
Because to be totally honest, and I'm so sorry, in what world? I'm so sorry. <laughs> You're fissing yourself because I'm trying to say this as diplomatically as I can. In what world does a paparazzi or a paparazzo just follow two former Bachelor contestants around and stumble on them making out at dinner? Yes. And now before I actually get into this with you, Zara, I think we should preface. I'm annoyed by this story. Like I'm actually annoyed yeah, with these I'm two women because my gut is telling me and all my internal alarms are telling me that this is a complete setup. And if my alarms are right, a setup in this fashion is queer baiting and it's kind of bullshit to be brutally honest with you because I think it's kind of gross. So yeah, there's a little bit of room where I might be wrong, but we've both been in this industry long enough and had experience with these stories long enough where I think we can probably say our opinion is that this is a setup and a pretty gross one at that. I think the first reason for that is because you can kind of notice that the, the photos are set up. So I think for us, the first red flag is the fact we're looking at these photos saying they look like a complete setup. And if the photos are a setup, does that infer that the relationship is a setup too? They're coming out right as the two have been eliminated. It is obviously making headlines everywhere. It is obviously generating a bunch more publicity than they likely would have got if they didn't come out in this fashion. And I think to me, I have to agree. That's why I am a little bit frustrated because if the photos are set up, then I would likely draw the connection that the relationship may be too. Yes. I think we need to ask ourselves at every single turn how this story came about. Number one, up the paparazzi really following around, sorry, C or B grade reality contestants who didn't even get to the latter half of the season. Are they really following these people around every single day? I would argue probably not. It's they're too probably... expensive to give up all their time to follow people around when they don't even know they're going to get a story. Yeah, they're following around the Beck Judds and the Carrie Bickmores and the big names who will actually have stories tied to them. I think if they're ever following around reality TV stars, and I put stars in inverted commas, it's been a setup shot. Second of all, I think we need to ask why Vaco and Rachel were sitting at an isolated table out the front of the restaurant in clear view of a paparazzo. In winter. Seated so that both of them could have their face in the shot and were clearly recognisable and identifiable. Very unusual to me. The third one is when you have a set-up paparazzo shot, it's very clear that the celebrity has no fucking clue where the camera is because their face is fallen or they're not pulling an expression that is particularly flattering. In the photo of these two women, they are almost skipping down the street. They're pissing themselves laughing. They've got like the brightest smiles in the world. Yes, whereas photos that you would have seen of Nadia Bartel coming out this week at various events, it's very, very clear, especially the one of her walking out of the lawyer's office in Melbourne. She had no idea paparazzi were around because her face was a resting face like all of us would have walking down the street. I just think this is bullshit. It is my personal opinion that it is bullshit. And I also want us to take into account the backdrop of this because this is not the first uh, same-sex couple to come out of The Bachelor. And I think what these two women have potentially done is seen the backdrop of Meghan Marks and Tiffany Scanlon in 2016 when they became famous around the world, particularly in the US, for coming together after their season of The Bachelor. And Vaco and Rachel have potentially tried to emulate that same PR. So a couple of things I want to touch on because I know that there was a bit of commentary in our Facebook group and some very worthy opinions in there. A couple said, I would like to think that this is genuine and it's not hurting anyone. So should we not give them the benefit of the doubt? And I just don't think it quite works like that. If it's not legitimate, if this is a setup, it literally just gives more airtime to the dialogue that women choose to be gay for attention and that it's a phase. Someone came back and said the opposite of that, actually, which I also thought was an interesting interesting line of thought. 
Someone wrote, not to cause any drama, but these comments reflect how society views most lesbian relationships, a phase, a attention-seeking. If either of these women were publicly kissing a man, we wouldn't say it was just for fame. And I fundamentally disagree with that. If the photos were leaked in the same way these were of a man and a woman, we would argue the same thing on these microphones and that it is likely for attention. It's the nature of how the relationship was announced, not the relationship itself that's the problem. Yeah, and we've done that before with other Bachelor couples as well. Last year, I can't remember the names of the of the two that were involved, but they were walking through a park, and it was very Alex very, and Bill. Alex and we've Bill done this before. Was very clearly yeah. set up, and I think Alex Nation probably has a track record of setting up paparazzo shots as well. Yes, in our humble opinion. But bringing it back to Megan Marks and Tiffany Scanlon, did you read Megan Marks's Instagram post this week reflecting on her experience coming out with Tiffany? in the wake of them both being on The Bachelor. And I found her quote at the very end very, very interesting with the Vaco and Rachel story in mind. She wrote, As someone who has been courted many times by women that aren't even into women, have lied about it or are just there for the story, it really, really sucks to see some make a joke out of what has taken generations for the government and media to take seriously. Please, everyone, be who you are. Be honest about who you are. It's the most freeing thing ever. Let the chips fall where they may. I loved that post. Another favourite quote of mine was, my discomfort comes when I realise that I'm unsure if I was part of a sexuality evolution in reality television or the opposite, where people were taught to use same-sex PDA as a way to get publicity or attention. Isn't that so interesting and incredibly insightful? Yeah. Like, I think it's an incredibly clever and self-aware way to look back on that time. I think it might have been the latter. Yeah, I think I it was I wish it was too. the first. I wish it was the former, but I think it was the latter. I think as well. And the difference here as well is that Megan and Tiffany, although they do have regrets with how they dealt with their relationship, including a spread in Maxim magazine, yeah. I think it was, they also did things in a very different way to what Vaco and Rachel have. They announced their relationship with Instagram posts. They were posting together all the time. They shared how they had fallen in love in a caption. It's very, very different to announce it via new idea where you're reaching people outside of your existing social media base and following because you know that if the mainstream media is talking about you and if paparazzi shots are out there, you're going to swell your following. And I think ultimately that might be what's happened here. And to be clear as well, they haven't actually said they're in a relationship. So this isn't just like Tiffany and Megan. They've said they're just hanging out and having fun, which also lends itself to the fact that Maybe this is for attention and attention alone. I mean, I would love to believe it's genuine. Like, I would love to think that these two women have found love. I think you and I have both just been completely rubbed up the wrong way with how this story has been communicated. And if it is genuine, if this relationship is genuine, then I hope they do a complete 180 and take a lot of this stuff on board. The fact that it seems like queer baiting, that it doesn't seem genuine, and the fact that if it looks like a setup, it's going to do a whole lot of damage to an already marginalized community. Thank you, next bitch. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle. Michelle Andrews, what have you got for us this week? Hello, my first story. In the first five days, Taylor Swift's lover has earned biggest week for any album since her own reputation album in 2017. That is from Billboard. It's a good album. Are you, have you actually listened very much? Yeah, no, I actually have listened to the entire thing. I have to say, I've realized this about myself recently. Because I'm such like a, a baseline basic bitch. Yes. It takes 
me to hear a song like 20 times for me to fall in love with it, which means I'm the world's biggest bandwagoner. Oh, what one do you like the best? Lover, to... because it's been on the radio oh, the most. no. I know. I know. I'm self-aware enough to know that I like, I, I'm not original enough to be able to pick the songs I think I'm going to like. I have to hear them a hundred times. Other people have to tell me that I'm going to love them. You probably just fall in love with whatever song is released as a single. hundred percent. So the next one to be released as a single is like, yeah, this is my new favorite. Like no doubt about it. <laughs> I was really uh, traumatized by some of the hierarchy shared in the group this week. Lots of people were sharing their Taylor Swift lover hierarchy. Many, many, many people were putting the same songs up the very top, which is fine. Go for it. I would just like to point out that False God is the best song on that entire album. It is so mind-numbingly good. That's not even a thing, is it? Absolutely it not nine- I feel like that's an oxymoron all at once. <laughs> it, it's good. Let's just say that. Why don't that. you say it's like mind-bogglingly good? Yeah, good. There we go. That's probably what I was looking for. Mind-bogglingly good. No <laughs> one is paying attention to it. I don't know why she buried it so far down. I think it's like track 14 or something. I also have a story very quickly. Oh my God. Did you see that Taylor Swift like posted on her Instagram some key quotes, yes. pull out quotes from journalists that were positive press about the album? And Stunned was... that shameless media didn't get a call out. That's I know, fine. right? Um, but one of the quotes was from a journal at The Independent who actually wrote, it would be a brilliant album if she condensed it more. I'm paraphrasing the quote, but it was basically, it would be a brilliant album if she condensed it more. And they literally just pulled out a brilliant album. <laughs> put it there which is some amazing manipulation (laughs) if I've ever heard it that's awesome anyway false god is the best song followed closely by hmm, the man the man cruel summer love is good I'll give lover a shout out and Cornelia Street okay I'm gonna give false god a second listen yes please do my second story Lizzo and Spotify created a DNA test that reveals what percent of that bitch you are that is from BuzzFeed Okay, I've seen this around everywhere, but I have to admit, I'm not entirely across what the fuck is going on. It's basically just 10 questions that uh, gets a gauge on, first of all, how well you know Lizzo and Lizzo's lyrics, and then second of all, your level of self-love. So one of the questions is, who is the baddest bitch you know? And it's like, Rihanna, Beyonce, Lizzo, and my fucking self, or something like that. So you've got to select yourself. That's an easy answer. Not because I think it's true, but because I know it's going to give me a high percentage of being that bitch. (laughs) Some of the questions really baffled me, proving that I'm not 100% that bitch. Actually, I'm 63% that bitch. What What were the baffling questions? There was one about like, what type of pet do you have? And it had like a dog named, I don't know, I can't remember What makes you a more of that bitch. I'm guessing there's something in her lyrics or something in a music video Uh. where she has a very specific kind of animal as a pet. Oh my God, we sound like the biggest dunces right now. (laughs) Someone who really loves Lizzo, aka my sister Evelyn, will be listening to this and pulling her hair out. Anyway, I am 63% that bitch. I'd love to know what percentage you are. I shall do the quiz. Amazing. My third story, Jennifer Hawkins opens up about her miscarriage. That is from InStyle Magazine. And of course, this is talking about Jennifer Hawkins, the former Miss Universe, Miss Universe, not even Miss Universe Australia. She won the whole thing. She did. Uh, Former face of Maya, of course, and former host of Australia's Next Top Model. Correct. And she did an interview with Stella Magazine in the wake of her announcing her pregnancy with her longtime partner, Jake Wall. And I found this interview very, very interesting. She said in the interview that she had a really, really rough year last year. She had miscarriage. She was diagnosed with stage four endometriosis when she was trying to conceive. And I think it's one of those things where it's an incredibly tough thing to go through privately when the public is looking on wondering why you don't have children. And I know this sounds like the most 
uh, overdone narrative. Like, mm. let's not ask women when they're going to have kids. But I think when it came to Jennifer Hawkins, even though people or journalists might not have been asking outright, there was very much an undertone of what are they doing? Yeah, absolutely. How old is Jen Hawkins? Do we even know? She's 35. She's not even that old. And she's yeah. been getting this question for so long now. I think it's kind of rough that as soon as you get married as a woman, the next question is, okay, kids. And the other way to look at it too is the need that the minute they fall pregnant to acknowledge that it wasn't easy. Like that's mm. also a private story that you shouldn't actually have to share. But I think a lot of people feel a responsibility to do so. I mean, Jacinta Franklin also announced her pregnancy this week through her app and also hinted that things hadn't been easy, that they had been trying for a little while and the baby was a miracle mm. in her own words. And I just wonder if it's kind of a disclaimer, like, hey, I'm pregnant, but it wasn't easy for me either. Yeah, I think it'd be really difficult. I don't think there's anything, there's not much that's more intimate than trying for a baby and trying to get pregnant. So I'm really happy for her. It's a really delightful announcement. But also I think every time this comes, as many people have already said before, it also compounds the grief of women who can't get pregnant and are still struggling. My fourth story, Kirsten Dunst opened up about feeling overlooked by her Hollywood peers. That is from BuzzFeed <laughs> News. I have never read that headline before, Zara. I know. What is this about? <laughs> you literally see your mind ticking over as the words started coming out of your mouth. What is this about? So Kirsten Dunst did an interview. She's actually starring in a new television series. Have you heard about it? No, I haven't heard Kirsten Dunst's name be used or I think anywhere. that's exactly the point. So she did an interview and she said, and it didn't seem particularly whiny, but I think when the quotes are on paper, they seem a little more woe is me than maybe they were intended. But she said, you know, I've never felt particularly welcome in Hollywood. I've never, ever been nominated for an award really since I was a child. I've always felt like I've been on the outer. I've never really felt like I've got any of the work that I wanted. And it sounded a little bit woe is me until I read a little bit more about it. And everybody said, no, it's totally right. Kirsten Dunst is one of the most underrated actors in Hollywood and hasn't got a lot of the work that she deserved. But so it's so weird because she's so famous. But think about what work she's actually done recently. I don't even know. Exactly. I, What's she famous? For. She says, everybody still remembers me as that Bring It On girl. I wrote, yeah. And Spider-Man. Oh my God. So she's starring in a new Showtime series called On Becoming a God in Central Florida. And there was a great profile on her in BuzzFeed as well about this concept. I think before she'd actually given the interview about the fact that she doesn't feel welcome in Hollywood. But it was one of those stories where I saw the quotes and then thought, no, I think that's right. Like as you're thinking about it now, she's so famous, but I actually don't know what kind of work has made her famous if it wasn't for Bring It On or Spider-Man? Yeah, and it's not like she's on the cover of magazines or big on social media or on streaming She kind of services. is on the outer. Where is she? What the hell? Yeah. It's just blown my mind. Does she live in LA? Like, fuck no. But she's so famous. Yeah. Where does she live? Do, Do we know? know? Do not even know if she has kids? <laughs> what an enigma. I know. Is she married? I think so. We, oh, by the way, are we saying Kirsten or Kirsten? Because I've said Kirsten quite a few times, but it's probably Who Kirsten. Who says Kirsten? I don't know. It's a rather, um, it's a different pronunciation. I haven't heard it pronounced that way. It's obviously Kirsten Dunst. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why you were saying the opposite. I don't know why you were Just saying Kirsten. Just trying to make you feel like you're welcome, Zara. <laughs> Every pronunciation is welcome here. Uh, for my fifth story, Kim Kardashian helped free Alice Marie Johnson, then got her to model for her shapewear line. That is from Jezebel. So Kim Kardashian has relaunched her shapewear line after being accused of cultural appropriation because of rather inappropriate naming of that line. She called it kimono. And then I'm pretty sure 
like a major political identity in Japan came out and said, can you please rename this? It is grossly offensive. And that was what prompted her to do so. Exactly. So she's relaunched the entire line. What's most interesting about the relaunch campaign is that Alice Marie Johnson, the Mm -hmm. woman who Kim Kardashian freed from prison Mm -hmm. when she was campaigning for justice reform, is starring in this campaign. And there is video content of her talking about how she didn't know who Kim Kardashian was before she was freed. And now she loves the shaper and it makes her feel really good. And there was a great conversation going on in our Facebook group about this story because my initial reaction was to feel deeply, deeply uncomfortable by it. Really? But I've gone in so many ways. <laughs> Wait for it. I felt deeply oh uncomfortable. God. I thought the optics of this are very strange. Then a lot of people very rightly commented on our thread saying this is a a woman of colour, a prisoner, a woman of age who's probably not going to get employed anywhere else. This is just work that she's getting. Yeah. And then I thought, great point. I wish she wasn't used in like video series pumping up Kim Kardashian. But she's not a toddler. She's got agency of her own. She's a fully grown woman. So that's where I landed on. And then I read an op-ed in Jezebel. (laughs) I'm exhausted. This is like a modern day thought process if I've ever seen it. And Ashley Rees wrote for Jezebel, which I think is a really important thing to consider. Something about this campaign feels inexplicably bleak. This isn't to negate Johnson's agency, nor Kardashian's sincere interest in criminal justice reform, but the concept of using a personal testimony about the injustices of the criminal justice system as a way to advertise a branded capital venture is dispiriting, regardless of whatever sincerity was intended. Disagree! I don't think it means it's necessarily a bad thing by any stretch, but I think it's just validating the people that see the maybe overlap between the two and kind of, ugh, a bit... I just think I totally disagree with Reese's line, this isn't to negate Johnson's agency because I think everything after that did exactly that. If Johnson wants to make money this way, if she wants to be involved in the campaign, she is a mature aged woman yeah. who has lived a full life. Let her do whatever the fuck she wants. I think wants. there's a certain amount of naivety though there to what? assume that you have agency when it comes to this power dynamic. Oh. Truly. I'm not saying she was forced into it, but I don't think agency is black and white when you've got Kim Kardashian getting you out of prison. That is a power dynamic and you can't deny that. I don't know. I just, I kind of roll my eyes at people pointing out this being, and I'll roll my eyes at you, Zara. No, no, no. I actually think if I'm going to fall either side, I would say it's completely fine. Yeah. But that's not to say I'm not going to unpack it and wonder why my initial reaction was like a a raised eyebrow. Very interesting to know your thought process, nonetheless. You're welcome. (laughs) I can give it to you anytime you want it. Is it tiring to be in your brain? Uh, Totally. (laughs) (laughs) It never knows where it falls. Zara, as you know, this past year has been pretty hectic for both of us and it's made me realise how important getting a good quality sleep or just a good quality amount of downtime actually is. Oh, tell me about it. That's why you and I were both so stoked to try out calming blankets and we have been using them for about three months. So it's safe to say these blankets have saved us all (laughs) on stressful days because there's been a few in the three months. Absolutely. Weighted blankets were something I'd read about for a really long time, but it wasn't until I actually laid underneath one that I realised how calming they actually are. I was exactly the same. So a bit about calming blankets for those who are unaware. Calming practice has actually been around for generations. Absolutely. The technique of deep touch pressure stimulation for stress, anxiety, ADHD, PTSD and insomnia is a really popular tool around the world and amongst therapists. So inside the calming blanket is where it all happens. 
happens. There are thousands of evenly distributed glass beads sewn in there, which creates a weighted effect. It's very heavy, but that's exactly the point, right? (laughs) The weighted effect signals to your brain that it knows exactly where you are in space, allowing you to relax and unwind. I feel so soothed just hearing that as well. And it's true. The minute you lie under the big, heavy, calming blanket, all your stress melts away. And it really taps into that very common sensation when you're having really bad anxiety or panic that you need weight on top of you. I think lots of people with anxiety would relate to that. And they come in different colours, sizes and weights too to suit every age and every taste. But can we please, Michelle, get to the bit where (laughs) listeners get discounts because that's what we're all about here, saving money. Absolutely. And this one is probably the best discount I think we've ever offered. Shameless listeners are being offered a very, very generous discount from Calming Blankets, their biggest to date. You guys can get a huge $115 off your adult or children's Calming Blanket if you head to www.calmingblankets.com.au to redeem your discount with the code SHAMELESS. That is the code SHAMELESS. Michelle, I am no mathematician, but that is a lot of dollars saved. (laughs) Find out more about Calming Blankets on Instagram at Calming Blankets or at www.calmingblankets.com.au. Yep, so one more time, that's the code SHAMELESS for $115 off. Thank you so much to Calming Blankets for sponsoring this episode of Shameless. This just in, Instagram veganism is under threat. Writing for Vice, Cassidy Dawn Graves looked at the YouTubers and influencers who are now turning their backs on the movement and belief system that wants to find them. According to Dawn Graves, more than 20 of the biggest names to the vegan lifestyle have announced their departure within the last three years, including Australian vlogger Bonnie Rebecca, spurring a tidal wave of abuse and trolling from their once committed followers. Zara, why do you think influencer announcements of going de-vegan have been met with such fury? I mean, I think it's an ideology that's infused with like a bunch of emotion. And I think that comes down to a few things. But I think mainly it's this idea that vegans probably largely feel misunderstood. And I think that's a fault on both sides. And I think that if you feel misunderstood as a quote unquote minority, you feel very much all in it together. And when people leave, there is a sense of betrayal there, Mm. especially when you've got an advocate for a lifestyle that you are very emotionally invested in that's a public figure because then you feel like it's not just a betrayal to you but it's an, a betrayal to the entire ideology. And I think your phrasing there, the emotional investment, is so important when we discuss veganism. We aren't vegans. No. We eat meat. Uh, we're omnivores. Is that what people call us? That, that we are. Uh, but the emotional investment is definitely there. I think vegans do feel so passionately about the cause of veganism and about the plight of veganism and it's understandable that it is so emotionally charged in that sense. Completely. I mean, in some of the articles I was reading about it in research for this piece, it was referred to almost like a religion. It's a spiritual awakening. It's almost this, not. I don't mean cult in a negative connotation. I mean cult in quite a galvanizing connotation, but it has that very, very strong religious element to it where if you subscribe to that belief system, it's then very difficult to opt out of it publicly. I think one thing we should flag from the start is we are being very general in our reference to vegans because obviously there's an entire scale of vegans. Some sit on one side, some sit on the other, and a lot of them do disagree with each other too. I think first and foremost, if we're talking about high-profile vegan influencers who are turning their back on the lifestyle, I think we have to understand the fury when these influencers or YouTube have made a bunch of money off the ideology. I mean, do you well, think it's off fair? Their followers, off their followers. Do you yeah. think it's fair to keep calling it an ideology? I'm not even quite sure what else to call it. Belief a lifestyle, system? belief system. I guess there's a whole bunch of things you could use to call it. Yeah. But I do think that's incredibly frustrating. And I would be frustrated if I 
you know, followed someone who made a bunch of money off feminism and off me and then decided halfway through that they weren't a feminist anymore. Well, I was about to give the example. I think the fury and the upset and the discomfort from these women's and men's followers is that they've seen a sudden backflip or a sudden backpedaling on things that these people have stood by for years and years. It would kind of be like us making money off this podcast for years, then turning our back on our followers and inviting a man with a history of murky behavior towards women or of sexist behavior towards women onto the podcast in a positive light. It would kind of be like a betrayal of everything we've built along the way. So I agree with that but then the other part of my brain thinks well what if veganism for a lot of these people hasn't worked with regards to their health Mm. and a lot of these people have come out publicly and said it wasn't working for my health I needed to change my diet there's also a separate line of thought there where people are saying well if it wasn't working for your health you probably weren't doing it properly but that's literally a rabbit hole I don't think we have time to get on but I do agree that fundamentally that's where the fury comes from Michaela who is a vegan wrote in our Facebook group this week on a thread that was having this conversation often we support someone online either in view and follows and or financially by buying their recipe books or Patreon subscription because they have a certain lifestyle or set of values that you also believe in and want to promote. So there's this idea that there's an incredible sense of betrayal if they are deliberately opening their wallets and paying for something that a certain influencer might be selling because they want to support not just the person but the lifestyle they are advertising. Mika also jumped in and said, personally, I get disappointed because it's usually misinformed veganism or unhealthy habits off camera that lead a person to then announce publicly that they must change their diet, which happens to be vegan. Yeah, it would feel like a slap in the face. And that's what I want to talk about here. I think there is a very clear distinction between veganism and social media veganism. Yeah. I think social media veganism has adopted a really militant mindset that it is not necessarily compatible with a healthy, balanced life. There has been a real deviation away from just plain old veganism onto raw veganism, gluten-free veganism, plant-based veganism. There is almost a complete and total focus on every little thing going into our bodies that screams unhealthy that screams orthorexia and i think the performative nature yeah, of veganism to say, the performative kind of veganism sorry to drop another buzzword but there is a huge element of performativeness to this yeah and competitiveness yeah. to be honest i think if you look at the if you look at these influencers who are kind of jostling for positioning as vegan influencers they all tried to one-up each other they all took it to a rather extreme level to be brutally honest and if you're doing that, then I'm not entirely surprised that it's not sustainable and you need to turn away from it. That said as well, though, if it's simply not for you anymore and if you're anemic, for example, and you don't, you need to start eating meat or start eating animal-based foods, I'm not going to begrudge you for wanting to change your lifestyle. I understand why your followers might be annoyed, but the level of annoyance and the level of hate and the level of trolling is inexcusable in my mind. For example, if you go and look at the comments left on Bonnie Rebecca's posts on Instagram, they are disgraceful. Like still, she announced that she wasn't vegan anymore last year, I'm fairly certain. And there are still people on her Instagram posts about entirely unrelated topics coming at her for, I quote, eating chicken period and using this really grotesque grotesque language Explicit on purpose. Too. I think for me, when we're talking about 
the backlash and we're saying, well, of course there's going to be fury there. I think what I mean by that is you're allowed as a follower to feel betrayed or frustrated if someone that has subscribed to the same lifestyle as you and one that you are, as we keep coming back to incredibly emotionally invested in, then says, hey, I'm not that into it anymore. We cannot possibly encourage the pendulum to swing too far because it keeps doing that. It keeps manifesting in incredibly explicit, violent language. I think you can be betrayed without being a dickhead. I think there was a really interesting quote in this Vice piece from Karina Wolf, who is a writer and she runs the food blog and Instagram, Kale Me Maybe. And she said, I have definitely seen a growing trend of influencers shifting away from veganism for health reasons. I think influencers specifically are dropping labels because they've found they've gotten too caught up in the rigidity of eating a certain way and it ends up being unhealthy for them. I think this idea generally is pretty interesting to me, that in order to separate themselves from the pack, influencers definitely brand themselves in certain way and give themselves labels. But what actually happens when those labels become suffocating and too rigid? It's like they're stuck in this impossible corner. Absolutely. There are other quotes. I don't have them in front of me, but there are other quotes in that piece where I think it was one of the male influencers said that he adopted that label at 18 or 19 when it was a very cool thing to do. And as he grew older, he realized it wasn't in line with his beliefs or his lifestyle anymore and I think that's very very true for a lot of people that when Instagram was really exploding and all of these profiles were starting to get a lot of traction it was very sexy and very alluring to have that plant-based vegan identifier in your bio and I think lots of people probably would have done that who might not have identified as vegans just in the everyday world it was very much influenced by social media and I think that's the distinction right there's a difference between the average vegan like I said before and the person who proselytized about being the extremist vegan. vegan yeah it's extremism for sure that once married with social media it bleeds into obsession and my own interactions with vegans in everyday life I've got a couple of friends who are vegan have been very very different to my interactions with people who are vegan online online there is definitely a an air of tension and animosity whereas when I discuss veganism with my friends I never ever feel that and I wonder why that is. I actually think that's a downfall of social media and not veganism though because I think the minute that you brand yourself as something on social media it gets confused with your identity and you actually might confuse it with your identity when in reality if you're not posting about your veganism or even making it known on social media I think it becomes less about your identity and just a small part of who you are. Mm. And I think online, because we're trying to put everything into such bite-sized pieces, we're also using scare tactics and we're hijacking this really grotesque language in that I often see a similarity between devout extreme vegans and devout extreme pro-lifers in that devout and extreme vegans will use words like chicken period or murder in the same way that abortion is described as third degree murder and a fetus is described as a corpse and all that kind of language and that's never going to create a productive or positive space for change or discussion if anything it just pushes people into separate camps and I feel like social media has done a real disservice for the vegan movement because we are so divided now and vegans have such a PR problem now where the few online who depict it as some type of militant operation are tainting everyone. It's a bit like feminism, huh? Mm. Feminism and social media's problem and feminism's PR problem. I mean, it's really funny that you say that because Tani Kara wrote a piece for The Conversation and she's a PhD student in sustainability at the University of Sydney Tech. And she said that part of veganism's use of extreme language and extreme images is part of our inability to, you know, identify with the movement or even actually understand what it is because I think there's a huge lack of understanding about what it is. And she wrote... 
Several activist organisations, in a bid to encourage people to reduce meat consumption, highlight the mistreatment and slaughter of animals by showing graphic and often shocking images, which can trigger strong emotions. When exposed to the plight of an animal suffering, many people get upset and wish for the cruelty to end. This is all well and good, but there is a risk that such communications will foster negative attitudes towards the message sender as well. So it's not like people don't care. I think people deeply care. It's just that they're quite resentful that this has been thrust upon them because they care so much. And think about the protests in Melbourne earlier this year. Lots of people were upset simply for being made late to work. And they're going to remember that. The average person will remember that day I was late to work because there were vegan protests in the city. It's very, very unlikely. In my opinion, please do disagree with me. You're more than welcome to do that if you're listening. I think it's rather unlikely that someone on the tram on the way to work who's now late would then be like, hmm, maybe I'm going to research this whole veganism thing. They're probably just going to feel a whole ton of resentment. I actually think that says so much more about our resentment towards vegans yes. and our resentment towards protesters. Totally. Because think of all the times you've ever been late for a protest ever and it's not like you've remembered the cause of the protest. You mm. just remember it was the protest that made you late. So I don't I don't think it was silly by vegans at all in that sense to protest. They're so more than welcome to protest. I think that's on us to not understand what they were protesting or why they think it should matter. I think for me... I'm really interested in this idea of why we get our backs up when it comes to vegans. Like what is it for the non-vegans that make us so resentful of vegans? And I wonder, I mean, Tani Kara in the same conversation piece spoke about it's the assumption that they consider themselves morally superior. Like we assume that they think they're better than us when they're not. They don't assume that at all. Some assume that. I, yeah, don't but th- like, I don't think you can say they don't assume that at all because some people online absolutely But you could literally that. say that about anything. You could assume that there's a lawyer out there who assumes yeah, that they're course, better than us or a vegetarian course, or a journalist. But I'm saying don't say none of them do because a very vocal minority, and I'm saying they're minority, but they're incredibly vocal online, including some in our Facebook group who we've had to kick out before, Zara. Well, what I find interesting about our Facebook group is that I never thought that moderating that Facebook group would mean that it would be moderating the conversations around this the most. These are the ones that get most emotionally charged. I don't think any of our conversations around cultural appropriation or racism have been as emotionally charged as our conversations around veganism. Do you agree? I agree. And again, I will say some of my friends are vegans and they are delightful about it. Like they want to educate people and of course they are super passionate about it, but they have never been aggressive about it. And I do think people have a right to feel a little bit put off by the aggressiveness on social media because I've felt it. I don't think we can sit here and be like, it's not their fault. We are all the problem yeah I think it's a problem on no, both, I think sides, it's both but sides there's definitely an aggression that comes across and I've felt it myself I agree I think it's because veganism and the message of veganism is so tied with morality which is beautiful I think it is amazing and I think the sacrifices that vegans make to live the lifestyle they do should be Commended. championed and applauded I think it is incredible and I think the changes and the tweaks they need to make every single day just to eat is amazing But the morality thing does rub some of us the wrong way. And it's probably an insecurity of my own. I know I eat meat. I know that I would eat meat regardless of whether or not that I'm anemic. I do see vegans as living a more compassionate life to myself. And I don't think I'm capable of it, but I will more than happily applaud them. I will more than happily bring in things into my own life to make sure I'm trying to limit my cruelty to animals. But I think vegans 
are incredible. I just wish the animosity wasn't always there. Yeah, and I wish the animosity for the ones that wanted to change their lives, whichever way it goes, didn't exist either. Like for the influencers who say, actually, I've fundamentally changed not what I believe, but how I approach my beliefs. I would really recommend people going back to listen to our interview with DJ Tiger Lily, actually. Um, We did it quite a few months ago and we had a pretty productive conversation about veganism and how she feels about the PR problem that wraps veganism. And I think that that interview got a whole lot of like positive conversations going about it. So I would really recommend people go back and listen to that. Yeah. And I can't imagine how frustrating it would be to be the average vegan and see where the conversation goes online and see how it manifests in different ways, because it must be really upsetting to always see it go down this really divided path when you probably just want to have an open conversation about it. Do you think the comparison with the average vegan and the average feminist is fair or feminists have it easier than the average vegan? I think feminism is more mainstream, way more mainstream than veganism is. So I don't think it's necessarily uh, the same. It's similar for sure. Like it might be a good analogy, but I don't think they're one and the same. This week, Rolling Stone's Rob Sheffield published a profile on Harry Styles, aptly titled The Eternal Sunshine of Harry Styles. Given the former One Direction star spends no time on social media, it was a unique perspective on one of the world's most popular pop stars. The main takeaway, though, that Styles is as fluid with his sexuality as he is with his music and his politics, making him one of the most quietly progressive and loved voices in the industry. Mish, what did you take away most from the profile? I took away the fact that it is so utterly refreshing to see a man who is totally at peace with his masculinity and and with himself. I think he, Harry Styles is a man that doesn't feel caged or limited or inhibited in any way. At least it came across that way in the profile. And there is something so utterly refreshing about that. I think your description of refreshing is bang on with regards to how I considered the profile and Harry Styles. It was just a genuinely delightful read. And that's why I think the title was so aptly titled, like the eternal sunshine. Mm. Like it was a very sunshiny profile. Mm. I mean, it was a huge puff piece, but I think it's because the journalists genuinely very much love Harry Styles. And I I think Harry Styles comes across as an incredibly likable and charismatic man. And I love reading stories like this where I get a perspective on somebody who I've watched in the public eye for a very long time, but I have no sense of what they're actually like. Yeah. I think the thing that I loved most about it is how a core part of who Harry Styles is, is that sense of sexual fluidity and that sense of not wanting to be caged or boxed. It's a core part of who he is, but not a core part of his brand Mm. like it feels like there's a real difference I don't feel like he's trying to sell me anything and I think while we've argued on the show before that you can kind of stand for something and sell it at the same time it's also really refreshing to see someone stand for something just by standing for something or just by being something totally and just by being a version of themselves I think what affected me most about this piece and it was only a really tiny paragraph nestled in the middle was actually when Harry Styles was talking about his openness with his feelings with his friends wasn't that lovely his male friends yeah I think this really hit the mood and it hit the mood amongst many women a lot of women are getting really tired of the men in their lives not talking to each other and not talking about the stuff that matters or not feeling like they can express things deeply and honestly and the fact that Harry Styles was saying that he does that with his friends that he talks really openly about his darkest days his happiest days his lowest moments his every little thing in his life that matters with his male friends is so important and I really really loved listening to that because we need more men who are vulnerable 
And embracing that vulnerability is powerful. And truthfully, not just for themselves, but for the women in their lives too. I mean, we've had a conversation on the podcast too. There's been some brilliant journalism around the emotional labor that women carry on behalf of the men in their lives because they don't go to the other men in their lives. They actually dump it all on the women because women are being told from the youngest age that they can express their emotions and they can process their emotions in a way that men haven't been encouraged to do so. To have someone like Harry Styles, who is one of the most recognizable men in the world, say something like that is incredibly powerful. For all his openness, though, he is still such an enigma. Totally. And I think that's where the alluring side of his personality is. He's 25, he's our age, and yet he hasn't posted on Instagram in more than a year. He has tens of millions of followers on that platform, yet he mostly shuns social media. He doesn't define his sexuality and he doesn't feel a need to put a label on anything. And I think that's almost the antithesis of the modern millennial. I mean, it kind of harks back to that segment we just on veganism where there is such a tendency to label everything in our lives Harry Styles doesn't do that and that's what makes him so infectious like his personality and his way of life feels infectious totally and I think it's actually because he doesn't label himself as anything or put himself in any box that he's actually making his own life easier exactly what we were harping on before because he doesn't get stuck and he won't get stuck people aren't projecting things on him because nobody knows what the fuck to project on him I think he very much communicates the idea that he doesn't yet know who he is so for that reason we can't really tell him who he is or expect that much of him either he's also the definition of a guy with privilege who gets it, who understands that he's privileged, who acknowledges that privilege in a really beautiful, wonderful way. One of my favorite quotes was, I'm aware that as a white male, I don't go through the same things as a lot of the people that come to the shows. I can't claim that I know what it's like because I don't. I'm not trying to say I understand. I'm just trying to make people feel included and seen. He wears like Black Lives Matter stickers on his guitar. He often brings uh, transgender LGBTQI flags to his shows. He tries to stand up for a lot of minorities in his work. And yes, you could argue that's really productive from a commercial sense because you're appealing to a wide audience, but it doesn't feel like it's that. It doesn't feel like it's a money grab. Well, no. And this was one of my favorite quotes in the piece. He said, it's not about me trying to champion the cause because I'm not the person to do that. It's just about not ignoring it, I guess. I was a little nervous to do that because the last thing I wanted was for it to feel like I was saying, look at me, I'm the good guy. I didn't want anyone who was really involved in the movement to think, what the fuck do you know? But then when I did it, I realized people got it. Everyone in that room is on the same page and everyone knows what I stand for. I'm not saying I understand how it feels. I'm just trying to say I see you. I actually think package those quotes and send them out to people who don't know how to be an ally. Like genuinely, I think there's a lot to actually learn from these quotes about how to be an ally without being accused of trying to leverage off it or be performative about it. I'm sorry for my buzzword again. <laughs> but it is. there's a whole lot to learn about how to give your support to something in a really quiet and gentle way. And it is that sense of gentleness that I really adore. I agree. And also the fact that he labels himself a feminist but doesn't ask for a pat on the back for that. One of the quotes was... Oh, that was so good. Of course, men and women should be equal. I don't want a lot of credit for being a feminist. It's pretty simple. I think the ideals of feminism <laughs> are pretty straightforward. It's true, though. It's kind of annoying that a lot of men don't get that, too. I mean, I think... <laughs> I just love the casualness of it. Of course, men and women should be equal. I think the ideals of feminism are pretty straightforward. It's just like, <laughs> you yes, idiots. I love him. No, and I think my favorite part about Harold Styles, and this has always been one of my long-held loves of him, and I actually am not a big Harry Styles fan. Like, I never have been. I think it was when I first read this quote in 2017 when he was talking with such respect to his female fans, and this, this quote has gone 
really viral. I hate that word too. <laughs> buzzword. No, it's not even a buzzword. It's a word that I hate people using, but then I use it myself all the time. Well, don't worry. We haven't said the word hyperbolic once in this episode <laughs> oh yet. So we haven't all cognitive dissonance. <laughs> or <but>. jarring. <laughs> But he said in 2017 with in an interview with Rolling Stone, who's to say that young girls who like pop music, short for popular, right, have worse musical taste than a 30-year-old hipster guy? That's not up to you to say music is something that's always changing. There's no goalposts. Young girls like the Beatles. You're going to tell me they're not serious. He then followed that up in this interview by saying, we're so past that dumb, outdated narrative of, oh, these people are girls, so they don't know what they're talking about. They're the ones who know what they're talking about. They're the people who listen obsessively. They fucking own this shit. They're running it. Love you, Harry. It's just a brilliant respect for your fans. I mean, that said, it's pretty good to sell your albums if you're giving your listeners and your fans respect. Yeah. But it's a perspective that I don't think we hear enough. Like respect for young women and their interests is something we don't hear enough on a mainstream level, particularly from men. I think Harry Styles has officially gone to the number one spot on my favorite celebrity men list. Same, and it came out of nowhere. Like Who's I'm shocked two? by it. Who's number two? Like someone weird like Ryan Reynolds or Tyler. I was going to say Ryan Reynolds it's... just for his like witty captions about Blake Lively. We're so basic. We are such basic bitches. People should come into the group and do their hierarchy of celebrity men. <gasps> hierarchy of celebrity men, but it can't be nasty. It's got to be no, like... No, it's got to be a good one. Top five. Also, let's not do 10. What about hierarchy of woke celebrity men? Yeah, so true. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I literally was so delayed on that because I'm trying to think of mine. Maybe we should put ours in and then get people to vote. Who would mine be? We'll give you... You'll have a few days. The thing that I'm about scared it. about doing is like putting people in my list and then people coming in the comments being like, you haven't done your research. Like, this person's actually a dickhead. He's the worst. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> I think that's all we've got time for today. I certainly think it is. Hey, thank you so much for listening again, guys. As we have said already... Brisbane listeners, get into your group chats with your friends. Get online tomorrow at midday. Those tickets will be live and ready for you to purchase to come and see us live. Hooray! We also have a quick favour to ask of you guys before we go. We have a brand new shameless survey where we want to learn a little bit more about you guys, what kind of content you want to see from us in the future just basically about your whole life. Well, not yeah. really, just the crux of it. To be totally transparent, we're doing a bunch of planning about next year, about the kinds of things we want to work on, the kinds of projects we want to push out. And we want to give you guys what you want. Like we want to make sure that we're so across who you all are and what you actually want. So in order to do that, we've put together this survey. So we'll put it in the show notes. We'll actually put it in the Facebook group as well. So if you see it rolling around, that's exactly what it is. We're not doing anything with you, Dana. Don't worry. We're not Facebook. We're not selling it on. Zara Zuckerberg. Donald. <laughs> oh my my god no of course it's not anything literally not anything like that and i'm michelle sandberg <laughs> oh my god she loved that joke so much she cracked it twice um we just really want to know what work we should be doing next year to be totally honest yeah so help us create content that you will love fill out that survey and we'd really really appreciate it other than that you can support the show by clicking subscribe if you're on apple podcast clicking follow if you're on spotify or just follow us on instagram at shameless podcast or join our facebook group shameless podcast community we will be in your ears with another in conversation on thursday bye oh god too high pitch try again led my ears (laughs) i'm broken